I'm going to be as quick as I can while still being uh, mildly intelligible uh, because Amy's here and she's going to be sharing with us. Very exciting. Yeah. Who's in the house? Amy, I said. All right. So uh, hopefully if you weren't here last week, you've been able to watch the video, listen to the audio. Uh, if not, um, I can't go over all of the, the stuff, um, but, uh, but please uh, check that out. Or if you're watching later on online, uh, you can do that. Um, but essentially what I was touching on last week is, is, is God's heart for transformation, to transform his people. Uh, he is not just simply interested in getting you to heaven one day. He is very much interested about getting heaven into you and then through you seeing his kingdom come, heaven come uh, to earth. It's, it's part of the call, the purpose, the mandate upon each and every person's life. And, uh, and I know that that might be a revelation for you. I think, I think it's a revelation the church needs. It's just how, you know, we're not waiting around as things get worse and worse. And oh, hopefully one day Jesus will come back and rescue us. Uh, we're actually called to, to come and to bring life, to bring uh, newness and healing and restoration uh, to the world. It's, it's part of the calling of God on our lives. Uh, but God starts first with us. He does that work in us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus that we might then go and embody him in the world and be um, participators in the transformation of other people's lives. Uh, it's always the Holy Spirit who does the work, but God has chosen to partner with us. Uh, God has a plan A for transformation of the world, and it is His church, His bride, His body. It just shows He doesn't have a plan B. So when we sit around and don't and interact and engage with God and with the mandate, then the world starts to you know, we're seeing the implications of that. And I think a lot of what we're seeing in culture today. Uh, is, is a reflection of the church being uh, dormant in its calling and mandate uh, to shape the culture of the world. So that's what we're all about. So uh, I, I'm pretty sure I touched on it last week, but, but one of the um, big principles of the heart journey, uh, one of the main things when it comes to that internal transformation is, uh, is identifying fruit-to-root patterns. So understanding that if there's bad fruit coming out in my life, it's because there's something in the root system, there's something in the soil that that tree is drawing from uh, that is then producing that bad fruit. And we know from this scripture, Luke chapter 6, 43 to 45, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, grapes aren't picked from a bramble bush. The good person are the good treasure of his heart. Uh, produces good and the evil person now the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the mouth the heart speaks so understanding that what flows out of us is coming from what is inside of us uh, we can be transformed by Jesus born again salvation comes all that sort of stuff and still we can see that bad fruit coming out which just means there's some parts in our heart that aren't fully believing the truth of who God is uh, or there's just some brokenness there's something in that ecosystem of the, the soil of our heart that's then producing still good fruit even after we've become Christians and after we're saved and that's what we're going to be touching uh, more on tonight so the question is well what makes an unhealthy root system what makes a tree unhealthy? We can say, oh, yes, there's bad things coming out. But what are some of the things that happen in that soil? And, again, a lot of what we want to share and what Amy's going to share tonight is uh, comes from the Elijah House prayer ministry training kind of teaching framework. Uh, it is not the only inner healing 
framework that exists out there. Our church has done, we've done the Sozo training, which kind of came out of Bethel Church. Um, I know there's, there's a whole, whole lot of great um, inner healing ministries out there, so we're not advocating and saying one is the best. Uh, we've just found it uh, really, really beneficial for our community um, and found it very deep biblically. Like it, there is just a lot of content that they cover and we've seen, we've seen a community of people transformed um, by, by the prayer ministry framework that's utilized. But again, we're just going to cover some of the biblical basis for what that is. But essentially, what makes unhealthiness in our, in our soil, unhealthiness in our root system, is anywhere where we have violated the laws of God. Now, when I first did the Elijah House training, uh, that was one of the things that really stood out to me because I was, I didn't grow up in the church, uh, but when I was kind of a mid-teens, I uh, started going and I was part of a Baptist church and, uh, and it was great, but I was always kind of told and, and, and raised under the singers, like, we're not under grace, so we're under grace and under the law, the law has passed away, and, and so you really, anything that had the word law attached to it, you're like, oh, that's old stuff, we don't have, you know, we don't pay attention to any of that stuff anymore, because we're under the new covenant, it was great. What I didn't realize is that God has a whole lot of eternal laws that have not passed away and still, still remain today. And, and as much as we might want them to not exist, they still exist. And when we look at the teachings of Jesus, we see that he outlines principles in the kingdom that still exist today uh, that, that carry on. Now, we're not talking about um, kind of moral laws in a sense or, or things. There, was, there were laws that Jesus fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law in a sense. But we're talking about principles of the kingdom laws of the kingdom, just ways that God has designed his kingdom to work. And if you walk in partnership with those laws, then things go well for you. You don't walk in partnership with those laws and things don't go well for you. It's just how it's designed. Like anything is designed. This phone is of mine is designed in a particular way for a particular purpose. If I was to use it maybe to, um, to hammer in some nails, it's not going to go well for my phone, is it? It's because it's not, that's not the purpose that it's designed for. In the same way, we are designed in a particular way to live in God's kingdom. And, uh, and if we don't follow along with God's ways, then things don't go well for us. We're not talking about eternal salvation here. So we're not talking about things. We're talking about good fruit coming out of your life, which God desires. And what we hopefully, as lovers of God, we want to be bringing good fruit out. Like I think Jesus deserves that our lives would produce good fruit. Amen that we would actually be able to say, I have salvation, I'm going to see you in heaven one day, Lord, it's going to be a great big party. But in the meantime, I want you to get the reward for the price that you paid, which is my life today, here and now. So essentially, it's, it's principles for, he for healthy living. It's what the laws of God are. It's about living in accordance with God's design. So when we violate God's laws or God's word, um, then we bring about consequences. When we live in alignment with God's word, with God's laws, then we bring about consequences that are good. That's what we want to be doing. We want to be bringing about good consequences in our life. And again, it's, it's, it's more about existential impact than eternal impact, if that makes sense. It's more about the, the living today that we know, actually, if I, if I live in violation to God's laws today, it has an impact today. Or if I have made choices in my life as a person on earth, even before I became a Christian or after I became a Christian, there are implications to those things. And we know 
difficult. There is a pathway to, to deal with those things, but we've got to know what's the pathway. If these are legal requirements that God is asking us to walk in alignment with, then there is a process for dealing with those things. Okay, But really important to distinguish is we're not talking about eternal salvation here. You can be saved and all of that going to be with Jesus for eternity. Awesome, amazing, wonderful. We're talking about, but what about today as I live producing good fruit? Amen? Amen? All right. So there is a pathway. There is a process. Amy is going to delve uh, much more deeply into that and kind of ways that we respond uh, to different things. But there are four main laws that the Elijah House uh, teaching, inner healing teaching kind of is based upon. So the first of those is honor your mother and father. So you've all heard that that scripture? Yeah. Uh, so there's an Old Testament and a New Testament um, uh, version of this. So Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So again, it is a command, but there's a, there's a promise attached to it that good things will come if you honor the Lord. And it's also then repeated in Ephesians chapter 6, so it's in the New Covenant. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So first one, so any, any, in any ways that we have dishonored our mother and our father, there is uh, unhealthy fruit that's going to come from that. And oftentimes it's in childhood where the dishonoring happens. And again, it's, it happens in, out of ignorance. It happens out of maybe, again, negative things happening to a child, but they still can dishonor their parents. The law stands regardless of the circumstance. The law still stands. So whether you say, but, uh, but you know, my father abused me. And it's like, that's horrific and that's horrible. That should not have happened. And, and we would have loved that you weren't in that place. If your heart responded in sin, the law still applies. And again, the, the process of, of inner healing and heart journey and transformation is not about blaming people. It's not about, well, who was wrong, who was right. It's actually about saying, how can I take responsibility for the sinful responses that I've had to life? Whether seemingly justified or not, um, if you do something to me and I that is sinful and I respond back to you sinfully, we've both sinned. You hit me in the face, I hit you back in the face, <laughs> we've both sinned. And we're both liable for that, for that sin. Is it, was, was it seemingly justified for you to get a punched back by me? I think so. Um, but still, it's, it's sinful. So it kind of does. So the law still applies in in that uh, in that instance. So that is the first uh, first law. The second one is the law of sowing and reaping. So we know Galatians chapter six seven to eight says, "Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will." From the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So again, this is a now reality, that what we sow, we will reap. So you sow unhealthy things, you'll get an unhealthy harvest. You sow healthy things, you'll get a healthy harvest. Amen? All right. The third one is the law of judgment. This again was, uh, was I just found profound, really stood out to me. We often, in Christian circles, uh, we, we don't like judgment 
don't judge people, shouldn't judge people and all that sort of stuff. There is scriptures around that. Should we use discernment? If you want to do a study in the Greek, the root for discernment and judgment is very, very similar, just a slight nuance there. Um, but we, we certainly are to pass judgment in certain times and in certain ways, um, but there is a particular type of judgment that will produce judgment back against you. So Romans 2, 1 to 3, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judges those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And also in Matthew 7, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So essentially, when I make a judgment against someone, which is that final, this is who they are type statement, that judgment will come back to against me. I was like, wow, I'd never really thought about it in that way. But essentially, the principle applies that if you are, even as a child, again, in a scenario where maybe someone is sinning against you or your perspective of their behavior is like, I don't like what they're doing, and you form a judgment in your heart. The example I use is to say a child's growing up in a family with a violent, alcoholic parent. And that child in their heart, they hate it. They're, they're maybe being physically abused or neglected, whatever it is. That, heart, that child makes a judgment that my parent, my, my father is a violent alcoholic or my mother is a violent alcoholic and they make a judgment in, that, in their heart. That judgment then comes back when they're 35 years old and they're a violent alcoholic just like their parent. Now, naturally in your mind you would think, well, you, you wouldn't. Surely you would hate that thing, and so therefore you'd want to be the opposite of that. And yet too often what happens is those patterns that a child receives in that parental dynamic end up then playing out in their own, you know, parental expression there. Because the judgment is a spiritual law that is playing itself out in our lives. So we can't escape it. We can't just say, oh, but I, I didn't like that and, and or hopefully I'll be different when I'm a parent. No, that judgment's going to come back to you. And the final one is the law of multiplication or the law of increase. Uh, Hosea, Hosea 8, 7, for they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. And also Matthew 13, verse 8, it talks about other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So there is a... a um, a principle in the kingdom of God that that which you sow, you don't just reap back the same, but there's a multiplication that happens on that thing. So again, you, you sow a judgment. When that judgment comes back, it's bigger and more significant. This is really the principle any farmer knows. You certainly don't want to plant a certain amount of seeds and then get those same seeds back. Like if you plant five seeds, your expectation is you're going to get 50 back. Otherwise, you're not a very good farmer. Um, but we understand that this is, again, how just how the kingdom of God works. And we, if we understand that we live in alignment with that, and when we step out of alignment with that, we know what do I need to do to get back into the right place with God. Cool. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll briefly touch on, now, again, this is like, this is whirlwind, uh, a large house, unit one, biblical basics of stuff. So this is, I'm, I'm giving you a skim coat because of time. My encouragement would be do journey of the heart, uh, do the first unit of a large house if you want to get more um, depth on this sort of thing. So, uh, so there are um, kind of six processes for when, once we have 
once we've seen there's bad fruit going through a process, a prayer ministry process, uh, and they are uh, to recognize. So we actually need to recognize that we have sinned. So we recognize that there's, there's this bad fruit and it's come from this bad root in our lives. The Holy Spirit reveals that to us. Uh, and so that's the first step is actually owning it. Owning it, yeah, I actually sinned in that, in that instant and, uh, and I need to take responsibility for that. We then confess and repent. So repentance is the next step. Um, so we, we recognize, then we repent. Again, I'm sorry this is so fast, but it's, uh, it is what it is. Then we need to release forgiveness. So where someone has sinned against us, we release forgiveness back to that person. We then reckon as dead and renounce any vows. So we actually need to bring the power of those things to the cross and renounce any vows that we've made. So again, the power of life and death is on the tongue. When you make determinations with your mouth, when you make determinations in your heart and you speak those things out, they are powerful and they're spiritually binding in the kingdom of God. So they produce things. So we then need to go and renounce those things. Renounce lies, renounce vows, all of that sort of stuff. Then finally, you would resurrect. So you want to actually bring prayers of blessing and holiness. You actually want to resurrect good life. So what you have brought to death on the cross, then we bring. There's the other side of the cross, which is the resurrection. So in a prayer ministry session, the prayer minister would pray resurrection prayers, bringing to life the blessing and, uh, and that newness. And sometimes then when we... There is this reconciliation point. So where we have maybe done things in relationship that have broken or fractured relationship, then we have an opportunity to actually go and reconcile, sometimes to seek restitution. So how fast was that? Is that the fastest you've ever seen it done, Amy? Yeah. So hopefully it's enough to kind of get a bit of a picture uh, that was set up for, for what Amy has to share. Now Amy's going to sh- come and do a much more wonderful job at explaining all of these things. Uh, Amy's been part of Paradox Church for 14 years. She was the first, first person to ever really join the church. After our like little core team of seven people, the first Sunday we ever uh, did anything public, Amy was there. She's been with us ever since. And, uh, and this journey of, um, of with a larger house, with a heart journey, Amy has been a pivotal person uh, in, in shaping that. When we talk about a larger house, and we talk about the heart journey, really a larger house is a really important tool. It's not the full picture of what the heart journey is. That's so much more of, of actually the relational dynamics, healthy relationships. It's creating safe spaces for people to be, be vulnerable. When your heart is awakened, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly comes out. And, uh, and I hear stories from people sometimes, it's like, oh, but I, uh, there's no place where I can be vulnerable like that. Uh, there are there are places we've spent a lot of time creating a safe space in our in our church community. But that's our hope is that churches would be that safe space, where unfortunately a lot of the modern experience or expression of the church is that actually it's the last place that you can be vulnerable. It's the last place you can be broken. It's the last place that you can be struggling with sin. And so our heart is is to to reshape that because that is not. I don't believe that's the heart of Jesus. I don't believe that's the experience that Jesus expressed on the earth. He's like, no, bring me the broken uh, and let me bind them up. Uh, you know, sinners need help. You know, people who are sick need a doctor. And so this is really part of our desire to see a healthy church that can create a safe space for people to do that journey of transformation. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Brad. He could have just kept going. You know it all. 
you're a good teacher and it was just wonderful to listen to last week's introduction and some wonderful questions that were asked last week as well. It was just precious to catch up on that. Um, so yeah, my name's Amy, for anyone I don't know, um, was one of the, the pastors here um, until September last year where um, I transitioned over to running Lilia Haven, which is our long-term residential uh, recovery program we have on site. We have a um, beautiful group of women who live in the top half of, of the property here and um, uh, it's an honour to just be um, overseeing some of the healing journeys going there. So just people, women who are just on a journey in recovery of all sorts of things, but mainly just mental health journeys, unresolved trauma journeys, drug and alcohol um, journeys. Before that, though, um, very much running the Elijah House schools from here in Baldivis. I just loved going to all those schools many, many years ago. Um, I'd been looking for keys for a long time. I think I was 19 when I bought my first book, which I've still got on inner healing. And, you know, I was looking for keys not only for my own journey out of wounding and trauma, um, but I've, I've felt from early that my passion and calling in life is to grab keys uh, for the bride, keys um, for the church that everyone could go after people and pull them out, um, that we can be um, the bride who binds up the brokenhearted and releases the captives and sets um, people free, that it's not just for particular specialists, although there's definitely people on this earth called uh, to be specialists in trauma work and called to be um, healers, but actually that the whole bride can be given tools, that over workstation, fountain at work, breakthroughs can happen, that in homes uh, breakthroughs can happen, that kids can pray for their neighbours and breakthroughs can happen, that just in conversations on the street, uh, trauma can be broken, lies can be broken, and that everyone could feel empowered, because when we feel empowered and we feel we understand the tools, we have confidence that comes with it. There's often a lack of confidence that the bride has because we don't necessarily know how to do it. We want to do it, and we know that the Lord has a heart for the world, but we don't run out there and bring that transformation because we don't have the keys. And so my passion is helping equip um, the church because a lot of us inside the church have fruit that's not very good. We've got some stuff going on and um, not every church is open to that being a normal thing. Not every church is open to mess um, and not every church knows what to do with big things that get confessed or broken marriages or when abuse is reported um, or when, yeah, when children in Sunday school are telling what's going on at home. Not everyone knows what to do. And sometimes we just like everything to look good on the outside because it makes us feel safe and secure. But that's not bringing the kingdom. Uh, Jesus loved to get involved in mess. And so to be a, a heart medic involves getting dirty a bit yourself. Um, but it's a, a great honor. I have a passion for the churches to be trauma-informed, for workplaces to be trauma-informed, for families to be trauma-informed, um, for children to be trauma-informed, um, for their classmates. It's, it's just, it's a trauma-filled world, isn't it? There's just stuff that's going on that's pretty big, um, and we don't want to be caught up in getting shocked or overwhelmed. Uh, we don't want to be desensitized, and we want to get stuck in there and bring freedom. So, thanks. So, um, yeah, fruit. We're hearing a lot about um, the way the Lord designed it, which is in the word he referred to us as trees. So let's just get into some acceptance. I am a tree. Okay, that's what he's called you. And he refers often to us in that way. And he just talks about the fact that we have fruit in our lives. 
all of us have fruit. So none of us are a bare tree, all right? We're all fruit trees. You're all fruit loops, fruit trees, I mean. You're all fruity. But it's um, different from person to person as to whether there's a lot of good fruit on that tree or whether there's a lot of fruit that's not so great and it's a bit rotten and it's impacting lives around us. Um, But either way, we've got the fruit and there's no way of not having fruit. We can't stop the fruit growing. It's just there. So what's the good fruit? Everyone in this room has some great fruit. What is some of the great fruit in our life? Some of us have, might have joy. Some of us might have peace. Some of us might have some really high-functioning relationships. Maybe we um, have a marriage or best friends, and it's functional and peace-filled, and it's not full of strife. Uh, maybe some of us are really great in our workplaces, or we actually have a gift of making money. Maybe for some of us, it's we're sleeping well at night and we have good health. Um, maybe we're safe for other people. Uh, maybe some of us have good fruit in our parenting, um, maybe, or in a ministry involvement in the church. There's some great fruit going on, maybe in the worship team we're a part of or we're leading. Maybe there's good fruit in our leadership. Maybe the people trust us and there's uh, favor in our lives. Um, so those are all examples. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit. So that's fruit. We're trees, all right? So just having that joy and that patience. How many of us have patience as a, we're known for our patience? Or for some of us, do we have some bad fruit in that area? Okay, so those are examples of good fruit. And I don't want to have today, and I'm speaking next week as well, I don't want to have that a focus on, okay, well, let's focus on the bad, and let's focus on the pain, and let's focus on the negative. But at the same point, let's just have all the good fruit and all the great things and the moving forward and <laughs> in Jesus. Let's just have that like a little candle over here, and we're not going to blow that out and focus too much on the bad. We're just going to leave it here and, you know, the positive and the good and the moving forward and the being victorious is there unscathed and untouched. But we want to just have a look at the bad fruit for a bit and look under the cover and go, what is the bad fruit in our life? So just have a think for a minute. If there was bad fruit in our life or in someone we live with or in someone we work with or in someone that's in church or on the same ministry team we're at or um, someone we live next to, what could it be some examples of bad fruit? So just have a little think in your head. And often bad fruit has to do with a a stuck place. It's another word I often use for it. It's a stuck place because it's not shifting. Often bad fruit is chronic. It's ongoing. We're not having breakthrough. What could some of those areas be? I'm going to unpack a bunch of examples of bad fruit. Okay. Obvious ones are things like addictions, which Christians and non-Christians alike can get stuck in, stuck places in our life. Some of those areas can be the whole plethora of the parts of sexual addiction that can go on in people's lives. Um, There can be the substance abuse, drugs and alcohol, including coffee and things like that. Christian Christian crack, sometimes called. (laughs) Um, Finances, money, shopping, binging on things like that, binging on food, the fridge. There can be addictions to ministry, so it can actually be meeting a need. It can be bad fruit that we want to be involved in ministry. Uh, There can be addiction to busyness, can't be still, can't be silent, can't have just silence and stillness. There can be addictions to work. There can be addictions to significance. Um, It's like some people literally look at 
one day I would love to be a preacher or to be someone on a microphone. But little do they know if it's a bad fruit thing, it's actually because this promises being seen, being heard, things that are actually unmet need issues in their life. So it's actually an addiction to, I, I would be significant if I had a voice, things like that. All that's got to go. That's bad fruit. Um, some people are addicted to chaos, and if there's none around, they will generate it. Okay, People in our churches, people in our families, people in our workplaces, they generate chaos if it's missing because it's the norm. Some people are addicted to particular emotions, and they'll sit in that one. Like, I'll be addicted to anger. It's just the place where I feel safe as if I'm powerful and people can't get at me because I'm always angry. Some people are addicted to relationships. Doesn't, doesn't even if they're not sexual, it's that there always has to be a person. All right? So a lot of codependent relationships, a lot of dependent relationships. They've got to be um, doing life with having a, walking, a human as a walking stick. Okay, attached to relationships. Other bad fruit is offence, a propensity to being in offence and offendable, having an offendable heart with multiple situations, easily offended, that's bad fruit. Um, patterns that are repeating all the time, but always in relationships, then breakups, that's a pattern. Um, always getting fired, that's a pattern. Um, Always coming back to a particular addiction that you can't get out of. Anything that's repeating itself is a pattern. And the gift is when you see a pattern, that means there's, there's an answer for it. Because anytime there's fruit, there's a root. And for every root, there's a key. There's no heart that can't get unstuck. There's no bad fruit that can't get solved or worked through. There's hope for every bad fruit. Okay? Uh, dysfunctional families is bad fruit and very common, even in the church. Okay, the unspoken, sometimes spoken, rule of a dysfunctional family is don't tell. So it's stuff that's going on inside the home that people at school can't know, teachers can't know, church can't know. And it's, um, yeah, just all sorts of chaos and drama and dysfunction and abuse sometimes that's happening at home. So dysfunctional families is bad fruit. Um, being an emotionally dysregulated person is bad fruit. So emotional swings like this and quickly and easily flipping your lid and not able to be in what we call a window of tolerance and not able to be a regulated um, person. Equally, bad fruit is being emotionless. Okay, so being numb and not actually being connected to your emotions at all. Um, and then some have emotions, but they can't name them. They don't know actually what I'm feeling and I'm disconnected from my own heart. Last week I heard you went over a little bit of performance orientation or was referred to last week from a few weeks ago where uh, it's bad fruit to feel you have to perform for acceptance. We've got a lot of people in the church, got a lot of people out there who are either performing in very positive, fake, good fruit. So lots of um, being good, looking good, doing good. Lots of people on ministry teams and doing everything wonderfully can be performance oriented. Equally, rebellion is a form of performance orientation. So that's, I'm going to even get into things that are really icky and really dangerous, play Russian relay with my life, be involved in abusive situations to please and to be accepted and for someone to think I'm amazing. So you can go either way, the goodness, but either way it's performance. It's I've got to be seen as 
good by something I do. I've got to be accepted by something I do rather than knowing that I'm just acceptable because of who I am. There's a lack of peace in the identity being acceptable. So there's a need to please through sin or through performing in good Christian works. There's lots of religion. Different to PO, performance orientation, is what we call PI, and that's parental inversion. Am I going a little bit fast? There's a lot to go through. This is like a stone skimming across the water rather than going through the depths. Parental inversion is bad fruit. So the word inverse is um, its like something that's inside out. And parental inversion happens when um, somebody is raised by an immature or an absent parent, possibly sometimes a sick parent, um, a parent who uses a child as their confident or who ensures a particular child looks after all the other ones. Um, it can happen because a partner leaves or dies, can be through death. Anytime a child has to grow up faster than they should have and they lose their childhood and have to be responsible early, that can create what's called parental inversion, where for the rest of their life they are an over-responsible person who by nature care for other people because they learnt early to do that for mum or for dad. Maybe the mum passes away and the only daughter is the one who's now feeding everybody and looking after everyone emotionally. And sometimes it's not even verbally or behaviorally required of the child, but one of the children just feels, I need to step into a gap. And so they just choose to step into that gap. Sometimes someone just goes to boarding school or something. There's a separation from quite early on and you're just raising yourself too early, not even that you're raising other people when you're a child yourself. But in any way that a child needs to look after a parent or needs to look after siblings in quite a responsible way, we can become parentally inverted and that's bad fruit. And we make very good ministers. We're often the people who get into teaching, nursing um, and pastoral care in the church. <laughs> it's often the Lord will use us because that thing got so strengthened and he can really use it for good, but it has to be sanctified because we need to get the bad fruit and the drivenness out of it where we actually feel something will go wrong if I'm not helping because we learned early something will go wrong if I'm not helping. Okay, So there's a lot of people in the church that are parentally inverted, people even in um, pastoral leadership, shepherds in the church that often have that in their bent and that needs to come out so that just the gift can come through and it can be sanctified. So alongside that fruit, there can just be any relationship problems that are going on, that's bad fruit. Um, there can be generational patterns, generational issues, anything that you're seeing that's continuing from grandma and then it's happening here and then the kid has it. Generational patterns is bad fruit and there's definitely answers for those ones. Health issues, a lot of that like can be really bad fruit and rooted in um, unresolved stuff that's impacting our bodies. Um, people who carry around almost in their identity that they don't belong to anybody, a bit orphany and come into churches and leave churches quite easily and won't attach because um, they can't trust. So trust issues, sort of just floaters, floaters that make sure that they're not accountable to anybody and they come in and join and then they leave and almost look for something that's going to prove that this place is not trustworthy or something that the leader will do or people won't do um, so that they can stay 
safe and comfortable by not attaching. So the inability to be vulnerable and the inability to attach and trust, the inability to hear feedback, the inability to actually consecrate and not consecrate. It's another word for when like you get married. Sorry. Covenant. Good word, though. It was a C word. The inability to covenant. So covenanting to the body. So becoming one with the body, becoming an organ of the body. And the church needs everyone, the ear, the knee, the leg, the knee, the whatever, whatever. That takes covenanting in to a church. Um, some For some people, that's like, I can attend so long as I can leave just before the worship and the sermon finishes and I can arrive just after it starts. And so long as I don't go to a home group or so long as I'm not known, then I'm safe. So there's a self-protection um, that's preventing sticking it in, sticking in through the hard times. We need to become people who can covenant. Um, so there's uh, various types of depression that's, that's bad fruit, not always our fault, but because of unresolved stuff in the root system. Some of us can be shame-based, so a lot of deep embarrassment feelings that happen in our life, or just a shame about who we are, or how we look, or how we, are, you know, social shame. Um, shame, just, you, we're not then becoming people who are li literally walking into our identity and leading into things that the Lord has for our life. We can't get into our destiny because there's a shame that's preventing us from sticking our necks out especially in countries where tall poppy syndrome and making sure people are locked down if they are doing too well, like in Australia, um, can be going on. Identity issues are bad fruit. All sexual issues are bad fruit, whether you're married or single. Okay, um, We should be churches where you can talk about all of that, where, you, where you're having conversations if there's chronic masturbation going on or anything like that. It should be that there's and there's keys, and there's tools, and there's freedom, okay? Because the shame happens because the pattern's not stopping. Um, but there's keys for all of it. There's reasons for all of it. For example, with chronic masturbation, it's usually because the fantasy has the root in it. If you can actually go near the topic enough without being afraid of it and awkward, enough, or awkward of it and analyse the fantasy and actually go through the story, the fantasy is usually similar each time, and inside that, that's where the perceived benefit is, because that's when I'm powerful, or that's when I'm wanted, or that's when there's an unmet need, or there's a something your heart's looking for, it'll be in the story of the fantasy, and if you can actually get the trauma and the things resolved that are in the fantasy, you can, the behavior just dissipates, okay? There's, there's these topics are ours, Sexuality is the church's topic, and all these topics, they belong to us. So if we can get the shame off it and create communities of vulnerability and create communities where people feel that they can trust enough to covenant in, we can get into these topics together and get each other free. All right? So fear is bad fruit. And for some of us, it's so normal that we actually don't know life without it. There can be generational fear. If we're raised in a home with a parent who's stuck in fear, then we learn early to be hypervigilant and that everything's bad and that the world's bad and we just learn to be fearful. And for some of us, we don't know how to have life without a root of fear, but fear is bad fruit. Um, insecurity is bad fruit, okay? Control, the need to control others, the need to control an environment, the need to control how things work, how the team works, how the kitchen looks, 
how things are folded, the need to control an environment or a person because things feel out of control on the inside. Okay, we need to go to the root. When were things out of control for you when you were young? When, what happened when things were out of control? Let's get to the roots of the fear and get the control gone. Withdrawal as a coping mechanism. That's bad fruit. Some of us withdraw relationally. We withdraw physically. We're not in here with the tribe and moving forward with the bride. The ear is missing. The leg's missing. Withdrawals are it's bad fruit. Um, domin- uh, strongholds of thought. Patterns of thinking. Uh, that's bad fruit. Passivity. Just that's, that's a form of coping. That's a self coping mechanism of I'm going to go under the radar and not make waves. Passivity is self-protection. It's sin. It's got to go. Character issues. Learned helplessness. So a lot of people that we're trying to help or maybe you've got an adult adult child that's living at home or you've got a partner that's stuck in what's called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness, learned hopelessness is when someone was raised in a in dysfunction that just never changed and just things just never changed and so we learnt things never change and then we become people who can't just get up and move forward and break through and move into our destiny and change the world and our ruler has gone we can't rule and reign as kings and queens because we're actually stuck in learned helplessness that we learnt early because things just never changed and we gave up at some point part of our heart sat down so you got to we got to be a tribe that is all up everyone up, everyone moving forward. So pride, that's got to go. A lot of us have pride. We've got to be able to do the heart journey and invite people into our spaces and the pride's got to go. Um, An idol of right. A lot of us in the church have an idol of right. This is the right way to do things. This is the right way to parent. This is right and this is wrong. And, And it's in our language, right, wrong, right, wrong. That is the tree of good and evil, good and evil in the garden. We're supposed to be at the tree of life. But some of us are at the idol, right and wrong, right and wrong. And, we, and everything's about what's right and making everything right. But generationally, a lot of people just have an idol of right that the whole family serves. That family aren't doing it right and we're doing it right. And the pastor's not doing it right. And everyone's not doing the right thing. And can we just all do it right? And there's a right way to clean. And there's a right way to behave. And there's a right way to do church. But maybe if we moved away from the tree of good and evil and just lived and had good life, we would not have bad fruit. Those are some examples of bad fruit. <laughs> there's others, okay? But the hope is wherever there's bad fruit, there's a root. And scripture says, um, yeah, that we, it shows us, there's a whole teachings around each of these topics. If we could drill down, just like a literal tree in life only bears fruit because there's nutrients coming from the root system. And the scripture says we take an axe to the root. So in scripture, it walks us through, stop focusing on the fruit. So we've got to get away from being churches and ministries and workplaces and families that are fruit focused, where we're like, ah! There's lying or whatever the fruit is. Ah, there's sexual stuff. Ah, there's... And, and just stop it. Just, just stop that habit and just chop the fruit off. Do-do-do. Chop it off. Cool. I'm just going to repent again at the front in the altar call and just stop it. So we get the fruit gone for a day or three or ten. And we become a dark culture in every bad fruit there is. Um... 
but scripturally it says don't focus on the fruit. Yes, there's principles and laws around do not lie and do not covet and do not get into this and get into that. But the focus shouldn't be just stop it. And that's the answer that the church brings the world. No, no one can. Why? Because the nutrients are coming from the roots. And so a new one's just going to grow. It grows back. So we need to track through down to the root system, which how many of you know, unless you're a Morton Bay thick, the root system is underground. So you often can't see the, what's in the root system. We don't even know where it came from. I don't know. I don't know why I do the things that I do. As scripture says, I want to do this, but I end up doing that. Um, and just like that, when we're out of hope, the Lord has spread through his word ways to get under the soil and to pull roots out and to chop them off at the root system. Most of the root system, most, definitely not all, happens between conception and 12 years old. Okay? Most of the stuff that's going on in our life that's bad fruit, not all, most is 0 to 12. First thousand days is the most important. I was learning about that at another complex trauma convention I was at, non-Christian, and they talk about its conception onwards. It's the first thousand days. It's the brain stems being formed in the limbic system while you're in utero. And there's a lot of people who've gone through trauma in utero that's literally still impacting and bearing fruit now as adults. And they're teaching about that, non-Christian. It's in the Bible. There's actually beautiful two whole big Elijah house teachings on in utero wounding. And there's a lot of people who are just not able to step into their destiny because of they've turned from life or they've shut down or shame came or all sort of fear came on them in trauma states in utero. That's another whole topic. Um, and then after that, definitely zero to six. So zero to six is a lot of the developmental time of how we perceive the world. Usually in that time, we have determined what we think of men, women, whether the world is safe or not, whether we want to be in it whether people are safe and whether we want to attach or whether we want to detach as a way of coping in life. And so often our adult attachment and relational styles and the way we perceive men and women and adults and what we think of children and what we think of life has all been built in the experiences of those formative years. That's really interesting if we need to do an inner healing journey because we don't usually remember those years out of all of our years do we remember zero to six. Not a lot. Not a lot of, of memory. So excited. We have this person called the Holy Spirit. We have the helper who was there and is outside of time and can say what happened and where the root was and even jog us with some memories. He'll often bring a prophetic picture in prayer ministry sessions or just bring a memory to mind that was all buried. But literally it's our responses to life in zero to six that's often what's happening now can be connected to. 6 to 12 is the development of our personalities and our characters. Okay, A good bunch of our personality is actually our responses to life. The good things, the bad things, the ugly things, the horror. A lot of our personality and character, outside of the nature and the essence that the Lord gave us just because we're us and no one else is like us, but our propensities and our wiring. And yeah, a lot of that actually has to do with, again, the environment. It's environment that we're raised in during that time. And then teenager is built off the back of that, 20s, 30s, 40s. If you were to take some food colouring 
um, blue food colouring and you were to put it in some water that's this deep in a glass, it would go bright blue. Whereas if you were to take the same amount of food colouring and put it in water that was this much, could we even see it? Not really. That blue food colouring is woundings and traumas. That's the blue food colouring. If we're really, really young and we only have that amount of water because we're in utero or we're age one or we're age four, then the wounding really impacts us, okay? And so our responses to life really build what we think about men and women in life. And, and so that's what I mean, like we really, we really form in those years. Whereas if we had the same wounding or trauma happen to us at age 26, if there was very good formative years and strong formative years and great examples, it might be like huge and massive, but we can recover quite quickly because it's kind of lost in this big water of good experiences, okay? So traumas that happen really early really impact us. Can, should we have our little break? Where's the box? Five-minute break? Awesome. Let's have a five-minute break, um, and then I'm going to step into an explanation of the types of traumas and how trauma impacts the heart um, and unpack some of that. All right, five-minute break. We'll see you soon.